Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 47. The note says insert witty banter here. Dill, I never inserted anything. Oopsie fuck. But we did just find out Mitch Marner staying in Toronto for four more years. We don't do a whole lot of sports news. Six more years. I thought it was four. Dylan tells me six. <laughs> Dill, how do you feel about sex? Good deal? Great. You don't have to worry about it. Any contracts. <laughs> do we know Push how it much? All down the line. Do we know how much? I have no idea. Did he give us an AAV? Yeah, it's just Friedman just saying, deal's done. There you have it. Deal's done. A peek behind the scenes and how we actually record the intro on Friday. No hockey talk in this podcast, though. John Molinaro. We've got coming up for you. He's one of those Canadian soccer OGs. Dude's been covering the game since I was in high school. He's a legend. He's Mark Bloom's biggest fan. Love you, Bloomy. He's got a food blog, and now he's the director of content for the Canadian Premier League. You know him as at John Molinaro on Twitter. You know him as at John Molinaro on Instagram. Same name. Nice and easy. He's a lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre-chewed food dude. No, he's not. But I just love that line from Hook, and I've wanted to use it forever. It's John Molinaro, and he's coming up just after I tell you about how we've teamed up with Spreaker to continue to bring this podcast and some of your favorites, like Sportsfeld, who discussed whales on the last episode and it blew my freaking mind. You gotta listen to it. Spreaker is also allowing us to develop some new podcasts that I can't talk about yet, but maybe I will be able to soon. Like maybe after the weekend. Maybe. Weekend, you say? Dale, was that written for you? Oh, <laughs> a great writer. I didn't write the intro, but I did write you to say, weekend you say, so I could bring you this. Let's look ahead to the weekend to see what we got going on in Toronto. Friday, September 20th, Area 416 Super Kicked Pro Wrestling Rock Show. Ever since our crossover pod with the guys from Pro Wrestling Look Back, they're going to love the fact that I mentioned them. I've been getting more and more into wrestling. I even attend, attended SummerSlam this year, and every Tuesday and Wednesday morning, Sean has to listen to me recount what went on the night before. He says he loves it. I don't believe him, but thankfully he puts up with me every day. 8 p.m. at the Great Hall is the Area 416 Superkick Pro Wrestling Rock Show, 1087 Queen Street West. Tickets are $25, and you can get yours by going to superkickd, like kickd.ca. Saturday, September 21st, Butterbeer Bar Crawl. Dylan thought I was going to fuck that up, and I nailed it, buddy. Calling all wizards, witches, and even you no-madge muggles, the Butterbeer Bar Crawl is back. Grab your crew and stumble between bars in downtown Toronto and try your luck in Tri-Wizard-themed challenges. 3 p.m. things start. That seems a little frickin' early for drinking, but hey, let's make a Saturday of it. Four bars through the entertainment district. I don't know exactly which ones, but I'm hoping they tell you once you buy tickets. Early bird tickets are still available for 25 bucks. Go to partywithppd.com. None of these friggin' web addresses are easy, are they, Dell? Just don't have to say the backslash anymore, Ton so that's fine. No backslash. Sunday, September 22nd. It's our favorite time of the year. It's just for laughs. Dill and I get our tokens. We see our headliners and a bunch of other, the 42. We try to coordinate our schedules, go to as many together. It's really cute. It's like couples night. John Mullaney, Sunday, September 22nd, as part of Just for Laughs. He was at one time a writer at Saturday Night Live. He's good pals with one of my favorite comedians, Mike Birbiglia, and also the voice of Spider-Ham in Into the Spider-Verse, which makes me love that movie so much more. 7 p.m. The Sony Center, 1 Front Street East. Get this. I know it's a JFL thing, but SeatGiant.ca has tickets for it. As I said, the last two weeks, we are not even in contact anymore, but they haven't shut off our promo code. So use promo code STRINGER, and you can pay less than I paid, 
when I got the early bird tickets for John Mulaney in the summer, you can get it cheaper by going to uh, seatgiant.ca and using the promo code STRINGER. Remember, our ideas aren't for everyone. Not everyone loves comedy. Only the smart ones. You can do one of two things about it, though. You can reach out with what you've got coming up on the weekend, and we'll be happy to promote it. You can find us on Twitter, at Stringer Podcast, or email us, events at thestringer.ca, or you can go to seatgiant.ca and plan your own weekend. They've got concerts, sporting events, theater, live shows, comedy, like just for laughs, comedy tickets, and if you use promo code STRINGER, you'll be able to save a couple bucks, and you better do it now, because you never know when they're going to shut it off. All right, we're recording this on a Friday. We're recording this on Friday the 13th, the intro, and they say it's going to be a full moon. Dill, are you superstitious? Like, I know you're a sports guy, and sports guys don't wash their jocks or whatever that is. Is that your thing? Is that your bag, your gig? Are are you saying you can smell my Lucky Podcast socks from here? (laughs) Imagine. Imagine you came with stinky socks every week. I wouldn't count myself as superstitious, but I do, like, I'm not going to walk under any ladders. That just seems dumb. I don't break mirrors on purpose. I'm not going to cross a black cat, but I will do this. I enjoyed going out on a song last week, so let's keep the theme. It's not going to take you long to realize what this little ditty is, which I remember, oddly enough, most distinctly from iRobot. Weird, right? A great stinking movie. Stevie Wonder with Superstition, released almost 47 years ago. October 1972 is when it first came out, and I'm going to give it to you as a gift. Stevie Wonder with Superstition, then The Sax, then John Molinar. I'll go no headphones too. I'm whatever you want. I don't do. know. What do you want? Yeah, do no headphones. No headphones. It's more like if we were taking casual. calls. Then uh, yeah, imagine, obviously. yeah, imagine yeah. we t- it was a call-in show, and we're like, hell, what would we talk about? Hey, well, you'll what get would there. we talk? What would we talk about on a call-in show? If you and I had a call-in show, what, what would um, we do? And can't the answer can't be soccer? That's an interesting question. I would think on our collective world travels. Ooh, because we've seen be a good. fair bit of the world. Yeah, we have. You know, and we were down in Guadalajara in, together. In, yeah, in Mexico together. Yeah. I feel like it's my second home now, Mexico. What, Mexico? Yeah, I've been there Have so, you been that often? Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and like I, because I was there for the 2017, no, that would be 2018 champs, and that's with you, Champions right. League. And then I was back later the year, and I was back in um, Monterey, that right? Dylan, where was where did I go? Yeah, Monterey. For what? And then for more MLS stuff because oh, okay. they have they have a partnership with League MX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we had a thing. We we were with Monterey for a couple of days. Okay. For I think five, and then I was back again for Champions League this year. So Mexico, oh, like wow. I just keep going, you back, keep going and back. back, and it's always several trips, right? Right. It's never 
you know, you go down. I tried to this year. I like hit a few games at once, which was great. Right. But you're always end up going back. Mexico's nice. not bad. Mexico's yeah, I, I, it was the first. I mean, I've been to Mexico before. It was the first yeah. time I was ever in Guadalajara. But yeah. it was a neat city. It was a yeah, great it was. stadium. It was, except the fact that it was stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And the field caught on fire. That's right. Did you, right? Yeah, yeah, Remember yeah, yeah, after yeah. the fireworks hit all the dry That's brush? That's right. Yeah, it was in the middle. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It looked neat, though, when you're driving in. Kind of like a UFO. Exactly like a UFO. Yeah. Probably one of their best stadiums. I think it was put forward for 2026. It was, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a great facility. It's just like, it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it's like... <laughs> It was kind of like a bitch to not. It wasn't a bitch to get there, but like after the game, as you can yeah, imagine, to get like, out. we were like, oh man, how, it was a struggle. How long are usually? Do you try to write at a stadium, or do you oh, yeah, try always. to go back? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I was like, as soon as the final whistle is done, then I usually have my first draft, like through cool. to this, send it through to the desk. Then I'll go talk to you know, the the players in the press yeah. conference or whatever, and then, and then come back and quotes yeah, and, and just and there might be stuff I have to rejig or yeah. update or whatever, or yeah. find out more details that'll add. But it's pretty, I'm pretty, I got it down now. Yeah, I uh, <coughs> I, I kind of came up and through the hockey world first, and I feel a little bit worse, not completely, but a little bit worse for the writers because. Uh, in the hockey world, because everything can change. It can go to overtime yeah, really, really quickly. Like, at least, <clears throat> yes, things change in football, but there's no additional play. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. if, you have a la- if you have, if you have like, an injury time goal, right. yeah, yeah, 100%. It totally your angles, yeah. your, your angle's completely blown. Yeah. I don't know. I always just felt, I just, you'd see them all at once, all hit delete, all hit backspace yeah. at the exact same, I think, same I time. I think, I think you're right. It's probably, hockey writers probably do have it a little bit worse, yeah. just because I think it's just, it can change instantaneously. That's why, I mean, I've kind of learned after, over the years, I always kind of have, like, two separate versions going, so... <laughs> That you know, in case like there's a late goal and the, and the narrative drastically changes, yeah. then it's not. I'm like, oh fuck. Yeah. I mean, I still go. do that. Yeah. But instead of just like delete, 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 starting from scratch, right? I have you can that kind of bring over the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John so. Molinaro on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. I never. I'm gonna one of these days. I'm gonna get good and I'm gonna go three, two, one, and then talk. But I always wind up in the middle of a good conversation. There you go. And I'm like, oh, I just want to keep exploring this. Uh, what are other places you traveled? Mexico, we got that nailed. Like Mexico. most of the U.S. Yeah, I mean a fair bit of the U.S. I mean, you know, Canada, the big three, being yeah. uh, Montreal and Vancouver and Halifax, which was cool because of, neat. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been out there. That's a pretty special part of the country. Yeah, I've been to Halifax, but I spent more time in Newfoundland myself. Okay, but I, I want to go out. I want to now go for a uh, for a game out there. Fa- fa- Fantastic city. Like yeah. I have a, a lot of time for Halifax just because the people are so like unbelievably friendly and mm-hmm. it's a great vibe out there. I mean, I kind of say this about a lot of places I go to, but they know how to live out there. Right. You know, as opposed to, not to rag on Toronto, but uh, you know. We know I, how to work out here. Yeah. We know how to work here. Yeah. We know how to get like pissed off about like the simplest things <laughs> yeah, and completely. blow things out of proportion, but they really know how to live. And I think they've got a great sort of work-life balance. Maybe it's, I don't know, being next to the sea. Right. I don't know. Maybe no, being I, close to the water has it, but like they've got a proper handle on on things out there, and it's just it's a beautiful part of the country as well. So whenever I get to go out there, I'm really happy. Every time I think of the ocean, I think of the first time that we traveled with, uh, or I traveled with Toronto FC after Greg Vanny joined the team. Okay, 
and and the team had done oh no the coaches had gone for a run i think in the morning on the beach and then we were in the galaxy training facility um Troy, I guess it's just outside the park, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. We're on one of the practice fields, and then we do uh, media afterwards. And Greg just, he was asked, not by me, by someone else, about, I heard you ran by the ocean. What does that do for you? And he's like, man, I just love the energy of the ocean. Mm. And first of all, it's a very Greg Vanny, very, you know, yeah, very quote. Greg Vanny quote. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I think I kind of dig living near a big body of water. I think I could do it at all as well, and that goes for Halifax, yeah. the East Coast, not just the West. Yeah, something about the water, man. I think yeah. it's just it brings out the best in people, and they're just like, hey, we can go to the beach, we can sort of like do water sports, and I don't know, they're just it brings out a chill vibe in people when they're close to water. I remember Armin one time, uh, he and I were chatting. Your current colleague, we'll talk yeah. about him later. But Armin once said. That he thinks there's something to people who live in fire in, in environments where Mother Nature can end them. Like, and I say that in the nicest oh, okay. way. Yeah. Right? Where there's so much, whether it's the water around you yep. or, you know, storms coming off the water or, in our case, the cold. There's something about – or the desert being the scorching mm. heat. There's something about the type of people that live in these extreme environments where they just have this understanding that, oh, wait mm, – the weather could kill me at any moment. It could end at any and moment. I found yeah. that I found that interesting because even though I never thought about it, th- there's got to be some sort of correlation there because you're going to live completely differently than if, say, I can't think of a warm spot that's central, uh, northern Texas, yeah, or maybe. Arizona, Arizona, Nevada, yeah, in there, it's got to be, it's going to play on you a little bit differently. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe yeah. there's something to the fact that knowing that it could end at any time, it kind of brings out the carpe diem, and you're just like, ah, live every moment at the till its fullest, man. Yeah, and just enjoy and exactly chill. enjoy unless the ride. Unless you're in Toronto, in which case, as you yeah. said, we live to work. We're really, we, yeah. we, we figured that out pretty well. I think we did, but yeah. I mean, we just got to relax a little bit and stop, like, kind of like, I don't know turning on each other Stress, over like the stressing stupidest out. things yeah completely i uh i think the first time we met you would have been covering toronto fc before i got there yes i would imagine I think because so, yeah. it was 2013 yeah when when i was moved over and i was kind of part of a uh a team in 2012 that was trying to from maple Leaf sports entertainment toronto fc side d- diagnose what was going on, like not on the field with the team, but, you know, how we could help them and how we could create uh, support. And then it ended up being, you know, in the final hours of 2012 that I was told you're going to be assigned and you're on a plane uh, in a couple days to go down to the Combine. So it would have been 2013. Right. When did you start, let's say with Toronto FC. Right. Let's start with Toronto on that side and then we can go further back if you like. Uh before day one, so like when really, yeah. So Were you like with CBC at the time, I was. Yeah. So I was working at CBC Sports at the time for the, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the website, and uh, I was kind of doing a little bit of everything, sports, but mostly soccer. And you know, the team was announced what in two thousand five, two thousand six, six, I believe. Yeah. So you know, started to and you, there was rumblings that MLSC yes. was interested yes. and and that a team was going to come to Canada. So, um, you know, I was, you know, I like to say I'm pre-day one guy. So, yeah. So, and then obviously when the season kicked off in 2007, um, you know, been pretty much at every home game up until recently. Holy. Uh, Except for four. I think I missed 
three I missed because of illness, and then one in 2010 I missed because I was in South Africa covering the World Cup. Incredible that you can yeah. count the amount of games you missed on yeah. one hand. Yeah, well, it's not many, so no. I think that's why I kind of remember them so so vividly. I remember speaking with, as I said, I was in hockey before. I remember speaking with a member of the press in Carolina, and he <clears> had said to me that at that time, the media collectively all felt almost like a piece of ownership into the team. And the Mm. reason being is because the sport wasn't like the people there weren't naturally inclined to like the game of hockey. Sure. So in, in their mind collectively, they're like, well, we've got to do as much as we can to help support the team, right? Give access, give information, show people why they should love this sport and love this team because in turn, we're going to be able to keep our jobs. It's right. not going to help anyone if the Carolina Hurricanes move out of town and they have had, a, I would think, a very successful run. They went to the Stanley Cup Finals twice and winning one time. Um, did you feel a similar ownership when MLS came north of the border and, and came to Toronto? Because soccer hadn't... I don't want to discredit any of the teams that sure. came before, but it hadn't really taken a foothold in the city. Um, I suppose there was a little bit of that I felt at first, just because, as you mentioned, there had been sort of previous attempts to have like a, a pro soccer team in Toronto and you know, with varying degrees of success. And it had been a while too. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at this level anyway of, you know, something with MLSC behind it. So this was yeah. like a major deal. It was like the first Canadian team in MLS. So that was a big deal. So to a certain extent, I think I probably felt that looking back that, yeah, it probably is in my best interest to uh, take some sort of ownership of this. At the same time, um, you know, it became pretty clear how <laughs> how poorly this club was run. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, okay, that's great about Completely. It's great about you know you're you're the new kids in town and whatnot, and you want us to help support it. But um, and we'll probably get into this later. But with people like Mo Johnson involved too, mm-hmm. it became pretty clear to me that you know you got to take the gloves off, and not that you want to hammer them and everything, no. but you've got to sort of like call it as it is, and sort of really. Um, not shy away from, um, you know, calling things out that you think have to be addressed. And so I was, you know, any sort of honeymoon period was quickly dissipated just because of uh, the way I saw things. And in no way was I trying to, to say anything lacked integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It it completely did. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just, I, I relate to that reporter in Carolina. I understand it even in my job, because I was, you know, in a company where Toronto FC given all their success and the things that have happened in the last five years, we're still rightfully third tier, right? Right. You're still going to sit behind the Leafs and the Raptors just because of the attendance, the viewership yeah. and, and the, the money that sits behind them. And so I felt a little piece of me was like, Oh, I've got to, you know, not just inform, but I also have to educate a little bit yeah. so people understand what's here and how important it yeah. is. Oh, and absolutely. And that yeah. was like a big part of it too, because as I think educate is a great word. Clay, because I mean, there was a lot of people who were coming to this of like, well, what is this MLS? What is this soccer thing? What is this TFC? So, um, you know, to start to sort of educate the audience a little bit, the general sports audience about what exactly is this team and what MLS is, I felt pretty, felt the responsibility to, yeah. to, to do that. And, you know, obviously as the, the great fan culture, um, you know, developed and, you know, I, at the time there was a lot of people, myself included saying that this was despite the poor record on yeah. the, on the, on the, on you know the field, this was like the best I think sporting from a f- experience from a fan perspective in the city. Just completely, incredible, completely. You know because they really did a great job. I mean, I, I give them credit that first year they were really able to 
get as close as they possibly could to that sort of European sort of match experience yeah. uh, without sort of actually bringing it over. So, um, and so I felt, um, you know, that had to be, stories like that had to be told. So yeah, I think there was a certain part of, felt a certain responsibility I felt to tell those sort of stories. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, uh, he was asking me about, you know, moving in here and the transition because it's now been about a year and a half, but he's like, is there anything you miss? And I said, on my side, I miss the team dynamic. I miss, you know, just going to a place every day and seeing familiar faces mm. in and out. And you just develop naturally those relationships with uh, members of the club and also members of the media and the staff. Sure. Because these are the same people uh, you see all the time, like you and like Kurt Larson right. and, and everyone else that I got to see on the regular for so many years. There must be players that you you have a, a fondness in your heart for from those early days. If you've, you're pre day one, yeah, you know, and not everyone was, you know, all the credit to Mo Johnson. Not everyone was as tough to kind of figure out as, right. as he was. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of good guys that I kind of came in contact with those early days. I mean, um, Terry Dunfield, although he came in a little bit after, was yeah. always like a joy to talk to. And no matter how bleak it got. Um, you know, he would always have like a smile on his face yeah. and he always kind of like put things in their proper perspective. So he was great to deal with. Um, guys like Andrea Lombardo, who, you know, I don't think people like, you know, he's remember. kind of, yeah, remember is kind of completely fallen off the, off the soccer, um, sort of landscape in Canada. Uh, that was his really sort of first chance to show what, show what he can do in terms yeah. of a professional care career. So he was great to deal with. People like Greg Sutton, who had been around the league and just a you know Greg is class. like a classy guy, yeah, fantastic guy. Uh, had some great discussions with him and uh, Carl Robinson too, who mm-hmm. you know I know he gets a lot of flack for the coaching gig yet in Vancouver, but um, classy guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, unbelievably great to deal with. Was very generous with his time and got to know him personally too. So like you know about his you know, his, his life back in, in Wales and like mm-hmm. his two young kids who, you know, spent a great deal growing up here. So, here, yeah. um, had a, a, I wouldn't say a friendship, but a, an affinity for, for Scott or for, uh, Carl that kind of grew in those early years, which was, which was great. He was a really classy guy to deal with. Carl's an interesting one for me because of when he came, uh, in that first, he was first year, right? Yeah. Toronto FC, yeah. When, it, when he came, uh, and and where Canada was on the international scale in terms of seating and placement, we were, I think, below 100 at the time. He, over the years, and definitely into his coaching gig with Vancouver, really took ownership, I felt, of Canadian soccer. Like yeah. he, he wanted to be an active part of that and, and improving and helping the country move forward and, and attain some level of success. Yeah, I think a large part of that is because he really adopted Canada as as his home. Yeah. So like he was, you know, uh, a Canadian by choice essentially. Like he came here, and it wasn't just he was collecting a paycheck, and then as soon as his you know playing days were over, he you know he booted back to the UK. Uh, he was, I think he he really sort of adapted to Canada. He really sort of adopted it as as his adopted homeland pretty quickly just had a really sort of uh, love affair for the country right away as did his, you know, his wife and his two young children. So I think that was a large part of it just mm-hmm. because he felt, like I said, fell in love with the city, but also I think the country as a whole pretty quickly. And that probably led to him to sort of taking that sort of ownership of Canadian soccer and wanting to play an active role in it. I imagine you brought it up. I imagine having kids 
probably plays into probably. it yeah, I a, think so. a, a lot, you yeah. know. But I think of others. I think of Danny DeCchio, yeah, who never good left. Yeah. Uh, I think of Stephen Caldwell, yep. who came over and, and played at the end of his career and then never left. And that's only three examples, but they're the only ones I can come up uh, with off the top of my head. But but there's something to this inclusion, maybe they feel, or ownership yeah. over where where the country is and maybe as i think of the three of them now maybe it's a personality trait that they had they're all kind of workers yeah right the, the just the, the the type of play that they had they're all workers on the field and in their clubs and and saw success at varying levels whether in the championship or the premiership mm-hmm. before coming here and so they weren't afraid of taking something on and putting it on their back and trying to take it to the next level there's probably something to that i mean they were all sort of workmen like players i mean not not to take anything away from them, but I don't think you would necessarily think Stephen Caldwell is a flair player, right? <laughs> or, Danny who, Dicchio, or Danny Dickey, or Danny God bless them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm good friends with Danny, but I think there was part of that getting stuck in and yeah. just kind of getting on with it that probably helped them uh, assimilate to, to life in Canada. And again, I think they just fell in love with. It. I probably have. I think there's probably from a cultural perspective, it probably helped that they were coming from you know places like Scotland and Wales and yeah. England because I think there's. There's a lot of cultural stuff that crosses over between Canada and those places. I think there's a lot of similarities. So that probably helped them as well. The language. Yeah, the language. (laughs) But just like, you know, it's not that that we're completely different from from the United States, but I do think, because I think, you know, the U.S. and and Canada have a lot of similarities, but we are also different as well. Yes. And I think we have a lot in common with, with countries in Great Britain and the U.K. So I think that probably had something to do with it as well. It's neat for me because I remember, I remember. So Jimmy Bren was from Newmarket, yes, and, and I'm I grew up in Newmarket. Oh, okay. and he was from a rival high school, and so I vividly remember the day that he was announced. First one, first one. But I wasn't really uh, in any way. I say I wasn't really, but I wasn't in any way a fan of football, right? And I okay. was completely uneducated. Again, I had my my head in rinks and. Still, I think at the, in 07, I had long given up the dream of playing, but I had moved into my media career mm-hmm. um, in hockey. And so it was it was close to me in that I knew as a hometown athlete, I knew I knew roughly of his career. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But that was about the limit, the extent of it. How important, and I'm going to say this, and I think this is an important thread to bring through as we later talk about the CPL, how important of a time was that in in the, the Canada soccer dynamic? Because you would have known of it well for the years prior and leading up to 2006, 2007. Right. But where did that kind of, did, did it make as big of a dent as I in my mind think it did or am i kind of making it did brennan's is sort of brennan or just the whole the shift to bring everything north of the border brennan not so much although right. i think it was a key like i do think sorry jimmy a, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it was like a smart move by yeah. tfc at the time to bring him in because he was a local guy um you know played abroad for for his entire career so i think to bring in someone like him as, as the first signing the canadian you know captain i think you know brilliant move by them um no i i do think mls like when 
when MLSE made the announcement to great fanfare, it was like, uh, it was an important time for Canadian soccer. The national team was kind of like struggling and hadn't had a great deal of success. We were eight years removed from, sorry, six or seven years removed from when they won the Gold Cup. Hadn't gotten to the, and we still haven't gotten to the final round of CONCACAF qualifying for quite some time. So I think this injected... A little bit of hope, a little yeah. bit of, yeah, you know, this is going to be good because it's going to give opportunities to Canadians and that's going to have like a trickle down effect to, you know, the national team because guys are going to get regular playing time. So I think there was a great sense of belief and hope at the time that this was going to have, you know, great benefits for, you know, the game and the country as a whole. What were, what was the state of Canadian fandom? Like what, you, you must have, I imagine, I imagine everything. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you were there. Yeah. So you must have done this. I would imagine you were somewhat connected to the community, sure. which at the time would have been a lot tighter yeah. and a lot sm- uh, smaller, including the supporters and the fans and the voyageurs. What was it like pre-2007? Pre-MLS? Yeah, um, pre-MLS. It How was, did we watch Canadian matches? Yeah, so it was... It Sportsnet was, had it, I think? Sportsnet had it, and, you know... It, there was illegal streams, but there was this sort of thrive. <laughs> there was still this, can't get away from those damn illegal streams. There was this sort of thriving uh, online community, like on message boards. Are there even message yeah, boards no. anymore? Um, it's called Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. It's the yeah. world's biggest message yeah. board. Or Reddit. No one listens. Yeah. Or Reddit. Or Reddit. Yes, Reddit. Perfect. But there was these sort of, it really was kind of like a thriving online community of Canadian soccer fans of, you know, sort of all helping each other out and saying, hey, this is where you can watch this game or that game. And, you know, this is a, a soccer friendly bar that's going to show like the national team game on such and such Scallies. a day. Yeah, Scallies, but across the entire country. Yeah. So there was this sense of togetherness of, you know, Canadian soccer fans, they were sort of, you know, weirdly united in this common goal of, of you know, really helping each other out and just togetherness within, you know, the, the realm of Canadian soccer. So it was, but it was very much sort of, you know, it wasn't anything mainstream. It was very much just sort of below the surface, but it was sort of these thriving online communities that uh, really helped people keep, uh, you know, Canadian soccer fans engaged. You know, I hope you don't mind that I'm like drilling you on soccer stuff. Oh we, God! We, we've never really had this conversation. No, well, I guess we haven't. own each other, and I am so intrigued because I think there's there's a very small piece of each of us, even though we we tend to push it away, that believes that everything started when we arrived. Yeah, like, right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, TFC was a thing, and I was very aware of 0708 and and how close they came in 09 to make the playoffs. But in my eyes, it really arrived. It can be easy to tell myself it really arrived in 2013, right? 14, right? 14 with the right. announcement of the big uh, of the big two DPS, right? And then how that all evolved to eventually being a champion uh, in 2017. But for me, it's it's neat to kind of peek behind the curtain, and I'm not trying to drown you in all this. No, old no, stuff. it's all good. Okay, I love talking about it. Cool. You brought up us being able to travel to Mexico, us traveling through the states, you being able to travel through all of Canada as well. Yep. But then you mentioned very quickly, probably one of the biggest events that happens in the world in South Africa. Yeah. And being able to go to the World Cup. That was 2010? That was, yeah. What's South Africa like? I want to I want, I've got to stop saying what was that like, yeah, but yeah. I've never I've never traveled the continent of Africa, yeah. but it intrigues me so much. Yeah. My uh, it was the only time I've been to Africa and it, it's weird clay. I was was that your first World Cup? First World Cup. Okay. Um, and like going, I, I, there was all these horror stories about South Africa about, because we were in, we were based out of Johannesburg. So there was all, all this, 
we had heard the stories about, uh, there's carjacking and there's like, you know, people are openly carry firearms and it's going to be really dangerous. And we were in a, like this little gated sort of apartment and we had like mm-hmm. a handler who was like, kind of like, who was armed and like mm-hmm. drove us all around. So it was dangerous, but you know, I kind of, I, I really kind of fell in love with the country and its people because obviously the history of South Africa mm-hmm. is, it is what it is. Riveting. But riveting, absolutely. And yet the people there have, you know, an amazing spirit about them mm-hmm. and just an amazing, I don't know how to describe it. Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, just, say. just this, <laughs> just this, you know, we're going to continue to, you know, whatever happened in the past, not that we're forgetting it and it's yeah. a part of us, but we kind of have to like fight and, and continue to move forward. And that really struck me. And, you know, you go into seeing like the, where Nelson Mandela kind of uh, was, lived yeah. and, you know, where that sort of movement was born out of, was like pretty moving and pretty, you know, that was probably as much as I enjoyed covering the football, that yeah. to me was pretty special. The other thing that really surprised me and it just shows you how, I don't know, ignorant for, for lack yeah. of a better word was, I kind of thought of Africa as just this one place Right. That there was this sort of pan-African mentality, attitude, yeah. pride, whatever you want to call it, across all like the African nations. But we forget how large exactly. and diverse it can be. And I was, and I, I came to learn pretty quickly that that's not the case no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, there's much like whatever the, you know, we kind of have our rivalry with the U.S. or the Mexicans with the U.S. or the Mexico with Honduras and El Salvador yeah. and Central America. It's very much the same thing. So, I mean, I remember when Ghana was like the entire, was the last African nation in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting, ah, like the whole continent's going to rally around it. And absolutely not. I right. mean, the Ghanaians obviously, you know, supporting like the black stars, but people in South Africa were like, ah, no, we don't, we no, don't want no. these bastards to win. No, so. not at all. It, it's kind of like when there's one team left in whether it's uh, the MLS playoffs or it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. Everyone was like, well, Canada's going to rally behind the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. Does and, it ever happen, And really? Toronto's like, no, we're not. Yeah. You kidding me? You, get it? you Are we ever going to get Vancouver on board to cheer for Toronto? No. We're, no, not a chance in the world. Would you get Toronto fans rallying around Habs, the Habs? No. No. I mean, no. maybe they're with the Raptors. I mean, my my sense maybe. is that or the Blue Jays. Yeah, just because they're the lone sort of like yeah, Canadian, Canadian team in team. those leagues. But yeah, so that was kind of an eye opener. Is just and and not that they were people were talking badly of no, not at all, goal or anything like but that. But they're not just, going to cheer for them. No, it was I'm just, not going to wear the Ghana sweater. Yeah, and it's just again, it's like you said, you have to understand how massive Africa is, mm-hmm. and there's like different countries, and with those countries are different cultures, different mm-hmm. languages, different customs. So this idea that Africa is just so this harmonial universal place where everyone is kind of on the same page and has a similar experience. Naively, that's what I thought going down there. And I quickly learned that that's not the case at all. But I, you know, South Africa was a great trip. Fantastic. How early before the group stage would you arrive or did you arrive during the group stage? No. So I missed the group stage. So I arrived for the round of 16. Yeah. So I was lucky. We were based in Johannesburg and I got, obviously Spain, for people who don't remember, Spain ended up beating uh, the Netherlands in yes. the final in Johannesburg. And I was one lucky. Nil? One nil? One yeah. nil, extra time one off nil. a late goal from uh, Iniesta. I was fortunate in that. So I arrived and I was, a, I was able to cover every Spain game. So I oh, saw wow. their run to the final from round of 16 wow. over Portugal to I think Paraguay in the, in the quarters uh, Germany in the semis, I think, and then um, the final over Holland, and so that was that was pretty, and that was a, like a fantastic Spain team as well, mm-hmm. because you had Iniesta, Xavi, David Villa, you had you know the greatest generation of Spanish players to ever 
come. They won. Did they win the Euro on either side? They won the Euro on either side. So this was, I mean, for me, it's got to be in the discussion for the greatest national team of all time. And I was, I mean, I count myself very blessed to have Mm -hmm. covered all their knockout games from round of 16 to the final. It was uh, an incredible experience. Hmm. I think it was uh, at that 2010, I had watched 2006 with a bunch of friends and that was kind of my level. It's like how I watch UFC now. Like, okay. I'll, I'll go watch UFC just because all my friends are doing, doing it. it yeah. And I just want to hang it with them. That was like 06 <clears throat> for me. And then 2010, the Vuvuzelas stand out more oh than my God. anything. But that wasn't the... like I, I knew that Spain won. I remember watching the final. I remember yeah. they won 1-0. And I was still, at that point, still three years away from ever really getting involved. But my education was starting at that point. Right. And uh, I think from an economic standpoint, I also followed it because there had been a lot of uh, naysayers uh, around South Africa, I believe, about yeah. bringing the games. Oh, there absolutely. There and was. what it was going to do and whether the infrastructure was uh, going to last or whether it was artificially propped up right. just for the sake of having them in. Yeah. Can I tell you something about the Vuvuzela? Would stuff? love you to. Yeah. It, it's one thing, like for you, you were watching on TV and I'm sure you found it annoying. Uh, or maybe I maybe didn't. Maybe you. Uh, no, I did. Okay. Maybe you enjoyed the dulcet Mosquitoes. tones. Mosquitoes. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Like to be there live and hear those things. I mean, my ears, were, they wanted to bleed. Like they've they, never been the same. They like my God. I mean, oh, I can't describe how god awful, ear piercing it is to actually experience those things. And the other thing was, that was just at the games. But there was, as I said, we were staying in Johannesburg in this little gated little uh, apartment complex. And no word of a lie, there was this little boy. I guess he was like the son of one of the journalists. He was kind of who was staying in the same apartment complex every morning out in the sort of the communal like parking lot. This little kid could, had to have been like six or seven years old, <laughs> blowing a vuvuzuela, <laughs> and I'm me, me opening my window, and I'm just like, "Come on, man! Yeah, you, you got to be kidding me with this! You got to stop! It can't, it can't go everywhere." We had the benefit of watching on TV in the sense that you have an audio technician who's dialing back the sure. crowd noise, yeah. so that you can hear the broadcasters clearly. Right. So what we would hear more than anything is the play-by-play. Right. And. I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, there's someone who's doing that there. Yeah. I'm like, I couldn't, am- if it's this loud, if we cannot hear anything on the pitch, anything from the coach, right. any of the normal like sounds of play that you usually get, like the, the corner kicks and yeah. stuff, we can't hear any of that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're drowned if they're in there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was the, the way I describe it was it was like a herd of bees, <laughs> just like swarming like constantly for 90 minutes. And surprise that- anyone won that World Cup. Yeah. And that's just like for me sitting in the stands or in the press box. Like, imagine what it is like for the players because I got to admit, I got to, I got to think that it was hard for them to communicate just because it was so ear piercingly loud yeah. and annoying yeah. and like, just nonstop, nonstop. Yeah. Like from like pre kickoff to like to, to the full ninety minutes. It's just like the, these these guys did not take a break with the boobies. And then they were banned. Yeah, and thank then God. They, they said, you know what? That's it. You can never bring them back. Yeah. This was your one year. Hope you had fun with them. Yeah. They're never coming Thank back. Thank God. They're uh, never coming never back again. never want to see them come back again. I can't imagine. I was lucky enough just recently to uh, catch a couple matches of the Women's World Cup, and right. that was such an honor for me. To experience uh, the knockout rounds of the World <clears throat> Cup is still one of those things on my bucket it's pretty list. pretty special. Eh? That, that, that I hope I get to hit. The international flavor is kind of neat. I think seeing all the different styles of football yeah. compete against each other is very interesting, and, and you really see... 
you know, sometimes, yes, you have this generational talent team that comes along, but sometimes you realize that, oh, the Italian style is really going to be dominant in this year or what, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, is there a domestically outside of Canada that you've spent a lot of time following? I guess because of my background growing up with an Italian father and oh. uh, him being a Juventus fan. I was a, I've been a Juventus You're fan. You're a so Juve a fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, since I was a kid. Holy yeah. smokes. So, uh, you know, I can, my earliest, my introduction to the game was as a six-year-old sitting at the kitchen table uh, on a Sunday morning and just sort of pouring cereal and, and, and eating it away. And my dad absolutely screaming at the television <laughs> in, in the basement. And I was like, what, what is he doing? Yeah. Is he going? So got up from the table, took my cereal downstairs and he's sitting in, in the, in the, um, lounger, like, yeah. and he's just barking at the, uh, at the table and it's Juventus playing. Yeah. And I was just like, dad, what are you doing? He's like, I'm watching soccer. Well, like, who are those guys in the stripes? That's yeah. Juventus. And that was literally. And they're the good guys. Yeah. Yeah, okay, the good guys. Good. And yeah. that was literally my introduction to the game because back then, um, you know, local station in Hamilton showed Serie A games every Sunday. So. Is that, that CHCH? CHCH, yeah. They showed Italian League games, believe it or not. This was like the early 80s. That's crazy. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. In, t- in today's, like, rights battle. Yeah. That Can you believe it? going on, that yeah. CHCH, they're like, oh, yeah, we picked up some, some Serie yeah. A games. Because no they, problem. They, they were, at the time, and they showed, like, a lot of Italian language, like, programming, whether mm-hmm. it's news or, like, dramas. So I think that it was kind of came out of that. They said, okay, well, let's show soccer. And so that was our tradition. And that was, like, my dad and I, Sunday mornings, just watching the games together. And that was, was my introduction to the game. And it was how I, to be honest, it was how I kind of learned about my dad. And, how, like, he would sort of... In between telling me about the teams and the players on the field, he'd be tell he'd tell me stories about his childhood and kind of growing up in Italy. And yeah, when I was a kid, you know, in Southern Italy, you know, I, I, you know, I supported Juve, and you know, John Charles was a player. John Charles is a very famous Welsh player, and he played for Juventus in the fifties, which is a pretty big deal. And he would tell me about that, and and then he'd go off on the side stories about you know growing up in this little tiny village, Italian village in Southern Italy post World War II reconstruction. And so it was kind of how I got to learn about my dad, and uh, which is pretty cool. So it, it was, is really neat. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience we had. Now you're gonna see my soccer ignorance coming out. And oh, okay, I, and I apologize. Uh, Juventus, do they play out of Turin? Turin, Torino, which is in the north. Yeah, but your father was from the south. Yeah, so th- this oh, that's is, interesting. Yeah, so, so good. I'm not ignorant. No, I'm no, really no, no, worried no. that I was completely off. No, in my no. Head. So, so this is the thing. Tur- t- Juventus plays in, t- Torino. in Torino, north of like we're talking deep north of, yeah. of Italy. So they are both the most popular team in Italy and also the most hated team in Italy. Right. And so a lot of their fan base is based out of the Piemonte, which is like the the province area that uh, that Turin is is located in, but. Probably like a, I would say half of their fan base in 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 Italy is based in southern Italy, interesting in Sicily and Calabria, which is Calabria is the the part that's kicking the uh, the, yeah, yeah, the toe the of the boot, yeah. yeah, which is where my dad is from, and the reason for that is uh, historically. So the other thing you have to know about uh, Juventus is that they're owned by the Agnelli family, who also own Fiat, mm. and so traditionally, a lot of what happened was back in the early days in the thirties and forties and fifties. Southern workers from like the southern of Italy would go to Turin and find work at Fiat. Oh, and so and, the, and that kind of allegiance kind of yes. like uh, bled out of it. And so that was, I think that's why they have such a huge following in the states, or sorry, in the southern U- in Italy. Yes, my dad's case, it was a little bit different. He, this sounds so weird to say, but so back then, uh, they would sell um, sort of like trading cards with um, 
sort of like this sort of sweet cake. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like their version of uh, like tw- Twinkies. Hmm. And so sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> sign, totally sign me up. Yeah, Panettone. Panettone. Yeah, it's yep. kind of like a Christmas thing, but they did like kind of like these single serving like snack cakes back then, and they would come with like these like player cards. So what my dad would would do was he would kind of like would collect them. But he knew like Juventus was the big team that everyone would want. So what he would do is he would kind of like trade the cards with kind of like the younger kids mm-hmm. who didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And he would hoard them. Yeah. You know, always like you could get the Juve ones. And then he would sort of like go around and like trade them off and say, well, I want like five cards for like this guy or whatnot. So they, he was. They, they were the pogs of his generation. Exactly. Yeah. So, and. He and, had old slammers. Yeah. And I think just through that, he, through that sort of like little scheme that he was running, uh, he just naturally became a Juventus fan. And then, yeah, my, like my entire family is Juve, like my two older mm-hmm. brothers. Uh, I am, uh, all my cousins were just, you know. Passionate. U- yeah. Very passionate Juventus fans. Now is, because there's a second team in Turin as well. There right? is Torino. So is that their main rival or is AC Milan? No, AC Milan and, yeah. and, and Inter Milan are their other the main rivals. Torino, God bless them. They yeah. have like a great history, but it'd be, I, do you remember how like what the relationship was like Man City was to Man United before yes. Man City became like the big the, economic the powerhouse? powerhouse. Yes. They were like Man City was just like, ah. Oh, that's, that's cute. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. That's very much the relationship between yeah. Juventus and Torino. I, I had the chance to work with uh, AS Roma. Hand, when I was very early in my soccer career, okay. and they came through one of those North American tours, and I just a friend had put my name forward for me, and and uh, one thing led to another, and here I was crossing going across the U.S. with AS Roma, which is really neat cool. for me, especially because at the time they had uh, Daniele De Rossi, yeah. and they had uh, Francesco Totti still, yeah. and that was like, and they had Pionic still, which is oh wow incredible, cool. um, and that was really neat. For me, because what it did, this is like any team that I actually have, uh, using air quotes in soccer, it, it's like the only one I kind of know, mm. they're going to be my team. Their team I'm yeah. like a first generation soccer fan, right. which means all my kids will wind up being like Roma and Liverpool fans or whatever. Right. Uh, but it was just, well, yeah, this is the one I know and these are the people I know. But I remember learning about the Roma-Lazio yeah. um, rivalry. Right. But then they kind of said very similar to what you said. They were like, yeah, yeah, it's there. And the people, the city, they're very passionate about it. But us, they're like, they're the cheap team. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that one's probably on, on a lot more equal footing. Yeah. Like Roma Lazio, like they are equal. They've won, I think, like the same amount of Serie A. Have they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like I've been to Roma. I have like family there. So I've actually, I lived there for like about a month. Wow. Um, rented an apartment and I like saw like about – 10 games during that time and went to the Roma Lazio Derby, which was like the most insane experience of my really? like, soccer life. Yeah. That was like, Oh my God. I can't describe how like crazy that scene was, but, um, Roma, Roma is a great club. I mean, they've got, you know, a rich history produced a lot of great players and I think the city is just fantastic mm-hmm. and they're lucky to have, you know, two such, I would say important and historically, you know, big teams in, in Roma and Lazio. A little bit of turmoil in the recent, couple of years for Roma. They've yeah. Been, been, haven't been great in the news, haven't been great on the pitch, yeah. but uh, as all great teams, they kind of figure themselves out. Don't yeah, they? they will. And I think they will. They are like, it's called in Italy, like the seven sisters, which refers to the seven big clubs. So Juve, Milan, Inter, and they're included in that. And they are like, you know, 
I think they are like one of the biggest teams in Italy and they'll, I think they'll kind of come back to prominence like very soon, hopefully. I think they're the first, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're the first Italian team to be owned by an American um, business magnate. Yeah, I think, think. yeah, I think that's true. Which is, which is, it seems to be uh, something common that we're seeing developing in the football world more and more. And I think of uh, Liverpool first. Yeah. And and how John Henry. yeah. Yeah, John Henry owns them. Do you find that, in your opinion, is that of the interest, do you think, of the people there? Or does it create a disconnect between ownership and, and the people of the city? I think it, it creates a little bit uh, a little bit of a disconnect because I think there's just this natural um, leeriness and suspicion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why does this American want to, like, come over here and buy this, like, this Italian team? And yeah. I think there's What just, do you even know? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's that. But I think it's 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 largely driven by fear about, well, what's he going to do? Like, he's probably going to. I think there's just this fear that they're going to Americanize the product yeah. and there's going to be, you know, cheerleaders on the sideline yeah, and there's going to be, <laughs> you know, halftime shows yeah. and whatnot. And they're probably going to bring in American players and this yeah. and that. So I think it's just this natural suspicion that they have. You know, I, I wouldn't want to say that for every team and mm-hmm. every team's fan base, but I do get the sense that there's this fear just that they're going to radical changes are going to take place and you i think you develop this interesting sense of pride <clears throat> when when your country and your area has built something yeah from the absolutely up. you you feel and and this is we're talking generations old yeah but it's like oh yeah my my great grandfather was there for the first season ever right and saw a match and then my my, my dad used to go with his friends when they were teenagers and so on and so forth i think of my dad i tell this story often uh my dad had this like story when we were young it seemed like lore of jumping in the car and driving to montreal with his best friend to watch the gray cup mm. right and that was just to, in my head as a child because my dad did it it was so canadian mm. right this is you know last minute jump in the car drive all the way there watch the game have a great time drive home and so in my head it was like it was always right up there with maybe seeing a World Cup, I'm like, I got to go to the Great Cup as well mm. because my dad did it, and so you, you lose a little bit of that connection. I would imagine, even as a fan, if we found out that one of the clubs that we were really fond of here got bought up by an outside organization. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's that just sort of local that sort of identity of being able to like this is ours. It's mm-hmm. it's owned by a Canadian. It's owned by like one of us. Do you know what I mean? And I think it just sort of brings out this sense of pride in people. And again, I think they're just naturally suspicious and oftentimes for for no it doesn't merit any suspicion i think people do have you know as crazy as it sounds business owners do have good intentions sometimes so um it's just interesting crazy right yeah i know yeah they're They're not all vampires exactly Now, I don't know if you caught what I did here, John, but I asked those questions on purpose. Okay, where are we going? having a thing of our own right. that we can call our own. Okay, see where you're going. And in the last year, uh, it's gone from really it feels like zero to 100 with yeah. Canadian Premier League, Yeah. right? Where I think many of us heard rumblings and knew that they were kind of uh, workshopping the idea around mm-hmm. Canada to see if it could work for maybe a couple years prior to that. Mm-hmm. But the last year has been, we've been hit with everything, including then the first game. 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, th- there had been rumblings for some time and obviously this has been in the works for a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to have, you know, with a- when April was the first game at, uh, yeah. Tim Hortons field between York and, uh, Forge, Forge and I was there and that was pretty special. I mean, to see such a big crowd, I think it was 17,000 Yeah, and you know, we hadn't seen a Canadian, just an all Canadian league since the old Canadian soccer league days. And that was I think 1991 it folded. Yeah. So this was. What's, uh, I'm doing the math in my head. 28 years 20 in the making? Years, yeah, I was trying to do it too. I yeah. was like, uh-oh, I hope he bails me out. So <laughs> it was a pretty special moment. And I can remember going to like CSL games at Brian yeah. Timmis Stadium, which was behind Ivor Wynn Stadium in Hamilton as a kid, like with my dad. So to see it come back again nearly three decades later and knowing you know the whole history about you know soccer at the club level in this country yeah. and the past failures and then everything the national team had been through over yeah. in the last you know, a couple of years. Um, it was a pretty special moment. So it's, uh, you know, it's been pretty exciting. Are to you see a Hamilton the- native? Burlington. Oh, no way. Yeah. I love Burlington. Do you? B-Town, I do. Big time. I've got, there's a family out in Burlington that I'm really, really close with. Oh, okay. And so it, like I see them a lot during the holidays. And so every time I'm going out there, it's always for a really good food okay. and like a really nice time. Yeah. I re- I'm really fond of Burlington. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting childhood. It's, I was mean, it? I've got, I've got a lot of time for Burlington in the sense that it was a great place to grow up because yeah. it was family oriented. There was like, you know, countless like families on our neighborhood. You have the kids. water right there. The water right there. It was really safe. Uh, what I would say is what the downside was, it was very... It wasn't very multicultural. No, it was yeah. very white bread. Unicultural. Yeah. I rag on Toronto all the time because believe me, there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of things you can rag on the city. But the one thing I am steadfastly proud about is this city, of about the city is it's multicultural, multi-ethnic, well, you know, welcoming of people from all over the, over the world. I think it's one of the great sort of assets of the city. And like, again, I've been to Rome. I have mm-hmm. family there. Rome is a fantastic, albeit dysfunctional city, yep. but it's a great city of, you know, uh, I don't know how many people, let's say 7 million, 7 million Italians. There's not much sort of diversity there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Toronto should be very proud of. Montreal, Vancouver too. Yep. They're all 100%. they're all culturally diverse cities, but I do think that's something that uh, Toronto should be very, very proud of. Now, I kind of jumped the gun because I went right to the CPL. Okay. And I don't... I don't know how much you want to talk about your summer, and I'll, I'll leave that to you no, to, to kind of open up. Yeah, I'm free to talk about um, it. We, it came as a shock to a lot of us when I found out that you were parting ways with Sportsnet, right. that you wouldn't be there anymore. This was the point I was 100% going to point out. Your note that you wrote on the day that it was kind of out there where you gave nothing oh, but right. thanks yeah, right. back to the company. And I, I've been through that very similar situation right. where you know this place that I've known for so long, tomorrow you're not going to be there anymore. That was the most beautiful thing I'd in that context oh, that I had ever read. And I felt, and I've said this several times, that all of us can take note of the appreciation of how fortunate we are to work in this business. And that's what you had summed up. And I'm poor audio medium. They, they don't know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. But essentially, when you, in the same breath that you announced that you'd no longer be at Sportsnet, right. you you gave nothing but thanks that you were able to spend a great deal of your career there covering the game of soccer, a game in which you love mm. pretty much full-time, if not full-time. It was full-time, time, yeah. Which is incredible. And I want to say... Because we haven't really talked since. No. I have referenced that on more than one occasion. Really? Yes. And I think wow. it it is a lesson to all of us because it's very easy. And maybe it's because of the fast pace of the city that we live in. Mm-hmm. It's very easy 
to be hyper-focused on how we are affected by things Mm -hmm. and forget about all the fortune that we've had leading up to it. And, And I love that you put the emphasis there, that you chose to remember that you got to work in the sport that you loved for so many years because of the job that they gave you. Well, I'm blown away by that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, I, was, now what are you yeah, going to no, say? No, it was. Uh, you know what? It was. Um, it wasn't contrived. It was very heartfelt, and it was. It was how I felt at the yeah. time. I mean, no one likes to be laid off. No, no, no. And like, was I disappointed? Absolutely. Yeah. Was I? You know, uh, would I have liked to have continued to work at sports? Completely. Absolutely. But how can you be bitter? Yeah. I mean, like again. You know, they poached me from from CBC in 2011. <laughs> I love that term. Yeah, poach. W- when used properly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so you know, at CBC, I was you know covering soccer, but yeah. I was doing other things as well. When Sportsnet approached me, it was we want you to be our soccer guy. We yeah. want you to be our chief soccer correspondent. We want you to sort of run the soccer section of our website. Yeah. We just want you to be. Mr. Soccer. Mr. Soccer. Yeah. And, you know, by that point, I was about 11 years into my journalism career, 12. And, you know, that had been the dream since day one, just to do, be able to do soccer full time. Because how many people legitimately in this country can say they work full time in in soccer in the, in the news media? Not many when you think about it. Not many. Probably count them on one hand, maybe two. Not many people in media or in sports media can say that they work full time in the sport of their choice. Right. Either. Right. There's so many people that hit a hard realization yeah. when they got into sports media, they're like, oh crap, I got to talk gonna about curling yeah. too. It's going to be harder than yeah. they thought to do what they want to do. So, you know, that's what I wanted to convey. So there was no bitterness. I mean, how could you be bitter yeah. about it? I mean, Sportsnet, God bless them. They brought me on. They let me kind of, it was a dream come true. They yeah. kind of let me do that. So again- disappointed absolutely but if they had come to me and said look we're letting you go and we're gonna hire someone else to be like our chief soccer guy right then you could be yeah. upset and bitter but then i would uh, then i would have taken offense yeah, yeah. Take it but it was like the, you know for people who don't know the reasoning was look it wasn't just me who was laid off it was a bunch of people yeah. this was part of a larger round of layoffs james Sharman. yeah you know they completely gutted the soccer department because they're not they're not a rights holder anymore, no, and that's just the real the reality. Is if it's not you know, media companies, especially who own rights, if they no longer it's their property, then they have less interest in it. And it wasn't performance related because they were they yeah they were obviously very happy with the job I did. It was just like we're not in the soccer business anymore, and there's certain economic realities that they were yep. going through. This was that they wanted they had felt that they had to let me go. So I understood all that. It was all it was all good and. Parted company with them on like the best possible terms. Yeah. I'm still very good friends with a lot of guys over there. And uh, they gave me a nice package. Yeah, thank and, you very much. That helps it too. And they actually, my old boss actually sort of put me in contact with my new boss at CPL. So, Incredible. Yeah. So like about, I was laid off on a Monday. Yeah. Went home after guiding the news and immediately got a text from my boss saying, hey, I'm friends with like the head of CBC or CPL Digital. Yeah. A guy named Mark Silver. I've kind of like told him about you. He's expecting your call. If you're, he has some like potential employment opportunities yeah. that he wants to talk to you about. If you're, you're interested, give him a call. Waited a couple of days, texted right. him, say, hang, you know, my boss said, you know, this, I'm not sure if that's true, but would certainly like to talk to you about it. 
texted him within two minutes, called me back. Incredible. We had like a long discussion. Yeah. So Mark's a good dude. I've known, Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. great I, guy. I got Fantastic to meet Mark uh, through the NBA because he did some work with NBA Canada, right. and uh, that's how we were. We first met up, and he's been a great person. Lovely that guy. Is almost for me. I haven't known him that long, but the way he handles me, he feels almost like a mentor. Like yeah. in the sense that whenever I'm around the CPL office or whatever, he'll take his time. He'll chat. It'll be like a 20 minute conversation. Totally. And he's like, you should try this. Yeah, or totally. you should try it. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Just to get to, like, to the sports net thing. So there was no bitterness and no, like they, could, they, they handled it like as, as, as great as like you can handle of, a parting uh, of the way like this. An unfortunate situation. Yeah. But they were, they were incredible. I mean, you talk about class. They were incredibly classy yeah. in like the way they treated me and dealt with me. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for, you know, a better parting of the way. So it's, you know, again, when I sort of wrote that note, uh, it was very helpful, heartfelt just to thank them for everything they'd done for me because they had done a lot. I, uh, I remember thinking when Sportsnet no longer had Major League Soccer rights, when right. because they had split it with um, TSN prior, yeah. and then TSN took full rights for Major League Soccer. I remember thinking at that moment, I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to see less of John. Mm. And but you were still able to keep up yeah. with TFC and continue, which was really neat because it sent sent us on this neat trajectory that we were able to witness the height of Toronto soccer. Yeah, and and Sportsnet they could have very easily said, Nah, you know what? We don't have the rights for MLS. You don't need to focus on it. Right. Maybe go once a quarter or something like that and write something. And I always thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, I think it. W- I was very fortunate in that, you know, when they lost the rights, it wasn't soon after that you could see this trajectory of like the club kind of skyrocketing, yeah. like guys like Defoe and Bradley and Josie came on. So, you know, And Gilberto, I, come on. Yeah, and Gilberto. Can't, can't yeah, leave yeah. him off the list. Um, and uh, I think as the club became more sort of, you know, impressive and, uh, you know, successful on the pitch, I think there was the realization for my bosses that, yeah, this is an important story you've got to continue to cover. And so they never said, ah, we lost the right scale back on this. If yeah. anything, it was, oh, these guys are sort of like from where they were before when it was like a laughing stock of a franchise in yeah. those early years to now where they it's seeming like they're going to become, uh, this is an important story you should document. And I think they, they, they realized too, again, that I was been there since day one, so yeah. I could sort of tell those tales about what it was like and sort of juxtapose, you know, the stories from now. the early days to now, because yeah. it really was night and day. I mean, the team yes. really did undergo a major cultural stability. Oh my god, St- having someone around for more than eight months. Yeah, so I think they sort of saw, saw value in that. Yeah. So I was I was really fortunate. They were really supportive in my efforts in that regard. How neat was that year for you, 2017, following TFC? Oh, God. For those listening who don't follow soccer, that's fine. You're probably not even listening to this podcast. (laughs) But TFC pretty much shattered every record at the time that one one team could in the league. Now, it's interesting because we're now in our third year of record shatterings and, and teams keep getting better and better. But Toronto beat a record that had been in place since 1998 in the LA Galaxy, a points record. They also were the first team to win all three t- uh, championships that you could win yep. in a season, which was unreal. And you just had this feeling that they weren't ever going to lose. Yeah, like it didn't. You looked at you looked any team square in the eyes, and you're like, ah, you know, they're pretty good, you know, along the outsides. But Toronto's going to beat them in the second half. And then they seem to always beat them. Yeah. I think games were that year anyway, especially coming off of 2016 where they came so close yeah. and lost the final, you know, on home field to, to Seattle. That 
2017 championship year, there was a sense you, you just knew, and I guess I was lucky just to be able to cover them so intimately. You really got a sense that every time, you know, games were won before a ball was even kicked, like mm-hmm. when they came out of the tunnel and did the anthem, there was just this steadfast sort of glint in their eye and determination and focus that, you know, at the end of the 90 minutes, regardless of what happens, we're coming out on top. And what really impressed me about that team, Clay, was I just think just the focus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can remember being in Atlanta for the regular season finale. And that's when, like, the, the league set the record. I think there was like 78,000 or in change. Yeah. And so they, the league set an attendance record. Yeah. And they went into that game only needing, like, a point to break the points record. Yeah. And they got the draw, I think, 2-2. Two, yep. Two. Yep. And God is my witness. I can remember, you know, heading down from like the press box at Mercedes-Benz Stadium down to the you know the bowels of the stadium to their dressing room and thinking man it's going to be like crazy in there they're probably going to be mm-hmm. corking champagne bottles they're going to be high-fiving tunes are going to be playing and you think Michael Bradley would allow a room that did that's something like th- that but, but that's right? a, that's the thing you walk in and business dead silence yep. i mean no high-fiving, no smiles. I mean, it was like, did these guys even win a game just yeah. now? Because Well, they didn't win, actually, and they were a little myth that right. they didn't win. Yeah. I remember that, too. But there was just this complete focus on, yeah, okay, we you know, got a result and we mm-hmm. broke the points record, but we're winning a championship. Yeah, That's the goal here. This here. is this is not why we're here. Yeah. This is not important. And you'd seen that throughout the entire campaign. They were just singularly focused on, you know, winning that title and making things right. But it really kind of hit home for me to Atlanta because I thought, well, maybe they're going to let loose a little and just kind of let their hair down. No. Not at all. No. Just like it was going into like a morgue in that place. I remember, uh, I have chills thinking about it, Greg Vanny, head coach, wrote history on the board and underlined it. And that was, everyone felt the weight of that for a minute. Like it wasn't like, yeah, we made his. It was like, whoa, Mm. we just did something that hasn't been done, and we're still trying to do something, yeah. which was the treble that had never been done. But uh, he also had this great line that year that was not, like he didn't concoct this awesome line. They just He said it once off the cuff, and then everyone called him out on it, and so he kept using it. It was chicken on the bone. Oh, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, left a little bit of chicken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Left yeah, a little yeah. bit of chicken on the bone. Right. And guys thought it was hilarious. Mm. Because it's fitting, but it's just a weird way to say it. Right. And and that was kind of the idea. And he may have said those words at the end. He may have said, chicken on the bone, guys. Mm. Let's, you know, get our rest and get ready right. for, for the playoffs. Uh, yeah, that, that was sheer will and dominance yeah. out of that team. Internally, of no one who was a deciding person, but uh, a handful of the creative team, we all had this saying about Toronto FC after the loss in 2016 to Seattle – and it was that they came in here and stole our trophy. Yeah. Because they didn't take a shot. They didn't land no. a shot all game. They Toronto, played him in that game. Toronto was clearly dominant. They lose in penalty kicks. And so the idea behind all of the creative for the next year, but the whole tone, you know, within us, the, this small team of misfits that don't matter to anybody, was <laughs> that they stole our trophy. Right. And so we tried to tonally match that mm. all the time, that that's what we're doing. And we were lucky that Toronto FC felt that way too. Like yeah. the, the team went out and just wanted to play for something that uh, they deserved the year before, and we're yeah. going to make a hundred percent sure they get the next year. Yeah, and, and you know, credit to Greg because it couldn't have been easy. Uh, you know, after you know suffering that heartbreaking loss, and you know, 
what do we do now? I mean, this is yeah. uh, it, it probably just emotionally devastated them. But, you know, I think he sort of set the tone pretty early and, you know, just sort of got them mentally right. And, you know, it was about getting it right and, and making amends and, and credit to, to Michael Bradley too. I mean, I, I don't think people really appreciate how much of an influence he has. Obviously they see it on the pitch and what he brings to the table, but I think he's been the major reason why that team underwent such a massive cultural shift because he holds everyone accountable, mm-hmm. like at all times. I mean, you've seen him. Is there been, is there a more serious guy? No. <laughs> like I don't, he's I've just, dealt with like a lot yeah. of athletes in my years, both in soccer and outside. And I don't know that I've ever dealt with an athlete who is as driven, focused and as serious and like so disciplined in maintaining yeah. that at all times as Michael Bradley. It's like scary. Yeah, it's a new level. What's really what's scary to me and scary might be the wrong term, but he can switch it off in an instant when he hits family time. Absolutely. Man, I'm like I would have loved a father like that. I know. He, yeah. He just seems so genuine and incredible. Yeah. And it's almost tough well, it is tough to put the two sides Absolutely. to, to the personality yeah. together, but he does it so well where yeah. he has this really you know, clearly loving family side to him. But when he steps foot in the locker room, yeah. that's, he just, he sees it away and he's going to pound the rock until it gets yeah. in. He's just going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding. It kind of, it kind of pisses me off a little bit because like, <laughs> I want to see I Mo- want that, Michael. Yeah, I wanted to see that, yeah. Michael Bradley, because I, I, I do generally like him just on a yes, personal level. 100%. Like, I think he's like a generally good guy and like a principled guy. But it's not, and every once in a while, he'd kind of show cracks of that mm-hmm. sort of lighter Michael Bradley, but we didn't really see it all that often. It was just like, damn, I wish I could get to know that Michael Bradley. Yeah. And he would like, you know, not tone it down, but like let a little bit more of himself kind of shine through to, you know, like myself and the other sort yeah. of reporters who cover the team. But I, I, I appreciate why he does and he wants yeah. to maintain that distance. And it's, but. yeah, and he's at work. Yeah, like, I, I think that's how he sees he's like, it. Yeah. You came to my stall, my, yeah. my cubicle at the office. And so I'm going to talk to you like I'm at work. Right. And then I'm going to go home and not be at work when right. I'm at home. I was glad that I realized that there was this whole person there and not yeah. just someone who is so uh, singularly focused. Yeah. And not that I have a right to judge someone one way or another, but it was just, it was this really great balance to see, you know, as you said, someone who sheer force and will and dominance and control and focus yeah. uh, every time he was in the room or on the pitch. It was, it was kind of shocking. Like the first time I saw like his, just his social media accounts and he would post photos of like his kids yeah. um, and like his wife, Amanda, and he was kind of like smiling. And I yeah. just thought, man, uh, yeah. where's this Michael Bradley? Yeah. Like, and we were, we had like running joke amongst ourselves, you know, the beat reports who cover the team is just like, what must this guy be like at home? Like, right. it's just like super awesome. serious no. and everything. And then you see it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, okay. So he is like a regular guy. Yeah. He's just a dude. Yeah. Just a dude. And he just knows how to turn it on. And it was really, work. you got, it really was driven home to me. Just like what a devoted and loving like father and husband he is. So it was, uh, yeah. The juxtaposition was pretty startling. Here's a hard shift. Oh, okay. Uh, you had said, I got sidetracked when you brought up Ivor Wynn. You said you're at the first ever CPL match between Forge and New York 9. The CPL, yeah. 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 Currently, you're employed by CPL. So if you can't answer this question, we can edit it out. Okay. I was in Vancouver at the time, and I made sure that I watched the match broadcast on CBC. Right. And I believe the text messages that went around to 
many of my peers and friends were, holy shit, this is way better than we thought it was going mm. to be. And I say that with all credit, but not wanting to take away from the planning that I know goes into it, but right. you're always curious, what's the quality of, of football going to be? Right. Were you impressed on that day? I was. Yeah. I mean, did, did it exceed your expectations? Here's the thing, Clay. I don't know. Like, I don't know what my expectations were. Like, I wasn't. I it wasn't like, well, is this going to be, you know, better than USL, less than MLS, on par with MLS, on par with USL? I really didn't have any expectations mm -hmm. because this was something like starting essentially from scratch. Yeah. They played very little preseason games. A lot of these players are playing together. Had only been playing together for a relatively sh very short yeah, period six of time. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I was like. I literally had no. I I went into that game. I don't know what to expect. I there. love that you went in blank. Yeah, That's I I, awesome. I totally went in blank. I didn't sort of have any preconceived notions. Didn't have any expectations. I was just like, I'm gonna go to the game, cover it, and we'll see what it is. And I was impressed. I mean, I was impressed with the quality. I was mm -hmm. impressed with it. Was entertaining. It was that, an entertaining it was game. Very entertaining. And I can remember uh, David Klanikin, um, you know, the commissioner of the CPL yes. at halftime. We were talking to him at. Um, in the press box and he was saying he kind of came in and he was just like hey this is great hey boys it's like the ref is like the ref is like letting him go like there's no sort of petty calls like yeah. he's you know there's no sort of diving and everything and he was quite right like yeah. he, like the referee pretty much kept his whistle in his pocket and it wasn't sort of like you know disrupting the flow the game, yeah it didn't yeah. disrupt the flow of the game so i mean it was it was great entertainment yeah, I'm just going to agree with you. Okay. I can imagine uh, David Klanikin came in with an extra big smile. Oh, absolutely. Like, he was like beaming. Yeah. It, it it kicked off exactly how they hoped it was going to kick off. I think off. so, yeah. And it showed, not that they're going to have. So I had, at the time, just to give a reference point, I had been following a struggling USL side for about three years. Ooh. Right? Well, I'm not going to say. Okay. I'm going to leave names out of this. Okay. But uh, USL at its worst is very hard to watch. Yeah, agreed. It's very hard to watch. And... I have enough contacts within USL to know how much is invested over there and how many years this has been developed over. So then to think of launching CPL, which some thought was in rivalry north of the border with mm -hmm. USL, at least on a competition level, I was like, well, are they going to beat CPL? And I've been watching, are they going to beat USL? I've been watching poor USL. What's going to happen? What am mm. I going to do? And then they just blew me out of the water. And that, uh, I think, I think it was ottawa who said during the canadian championship recently one of the members of the ottawa team they're like oh yeah cpl can play with usl because ottawa is still in the usl mm. and, and they completely acknowledge that these two leagues are on par if not you know you have your stronger teams and your weaker teams or some are better mm -hmm. the quality i was sitting in my room in vancouver just blown away uh at how great the quality was and it really has taken my interest mm. and you know, developing through, I then rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, there's going to be this, you know, app that you have to buy and you have to subscribe to for $10 a month. Right. And then I just did it. I'm like, ah, you know, we'll use it for the office. All of us will use it. No way. There's no way anyone can get on my login anymore because <laughs> it's the right number of matches in a week. I yeah. think right now yeah. where one person can keep up with the whole league yeah. and, and kind of roll through. And they went, and you're no exclusion at all, and they acquired really top talent in Canada right. to present, to, to fill out the, the presentation, whether it's on the written side or on the video side with uh, with Media Pro and One Soccer. Yeah, I think, I mean, full credit to, like, Media Pro in terms of, like, 
you know, launching one soccer and then going out and guy, getting guys like Kurt Larson and uh, Oliver Platt. Andy Petrillo. Andy Petrillo. I'm such, a, such like, a fan of Andy Petrillo. I was um, lucky I got to work with her at Leafs TV. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I was just talking with one of my old bosses about a week ago, and I said there's no one, there was no one who worked like her. Right. There was, she covered all three of the big three teams at once, right. working on everyone, and she just seemed to do it with ease, and it was because she was a pro and she was so prepared. You can tell there's like a solid work ethic yeah. there and a professionalism, and I think it's just important to get more sort of female voices in prominent um, you know, positions in, in, in media, especially sports media. Completely. Yeah. Um, so I think that was like a smart move. So yeah, I've been very impressed with the presentation that they've sort of put forward with regards to the product and, uh, you know, the, the, um, editorial team at the website, because it's not only just me, but there's Armin Badakin yes. and, uh, Marty Thompson and Charlie O'Connor, uh, Clark, who are very young writers, but you can tell they've got like a deep passion for yeah. the game. So I'm really excited. I mean, I've never had like a staff. Yeah. Like I've always been kind of been on an island on myself wherever I work. So I'm really excited just to kind of working with a staff for once and yeah. I can kind of, you know, mentor the these guys a little bit and help them. Puppet master. That's what I'm yeah. going to call it. Well, pull, well, the strings, yeah. Yeah, pull the strings, Pull those, those strings. strings. Go get me coffee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, because I think they're, Again, they're relatively early on in their respective careers, and yeah. it's funny because we all—I treated them all out for beers and burgers on Monday. I wanted to take them out, and I said, you know, we kind of went, kind of gave them my big yeah. spiel about, you know, this is what I have, you know, vision for the for the for the for the website and for you guys, and, and I said, but listen, if if you take nothing away from like this sort of dinner discussion, take this away, if you're sort of on the lower end of you know the Canadian soccer journalism hierarchy, and I'm at the top end. I want to get you up to the top end. Yeah. I want you to be, I want to help advance your career so you become, you know, prominent soccer voices in this country yeah. with through the media. And I'm really committed to that and I'm excited about it as well. What I've enjoyed so much about the online content is how inclusive it's been right. through freelance writers. Yeah. And and I see all, we talk about the Canadian journalism or, or sports journalism, soccer uh, hierarchy and all my friends are in there, mm. and and I think of Grossi as well. Yeah, who, James who writes. Yeah. I love James. Yeah, but it just we get all the names in there, which for me and and you know the last six years that I've had, seven years that I've had, it makes it enjoyable seeing everyone that I know talk about the thing. Oh, that cool. I'm now following. Too. Yeah. Well, and you know what, Kurt deserves a lot of credit for that because no, he, was, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but he was kind of the one who put together that sort of network of of freelancers, and it's it's across the country. So yeah. we've got like. Re writers in in every city that uh that a cpl team is and i think that's kind of like key i think that's part of why the website one of its you know greatest strengths and uh, yeah you're quite right to, to see and i know a lot of these people before like i knew james like yeah. grassy like i was friends with him because we cover the tfc beat and i knew daniel squizzato yep. bay out in out of the west i know sandra persina who's uh, you know, Calgary based because we worked a little bit on, on Sportsnet together and um, Sonia Misio yep. is like another name. So to be able to work with these people has been, um, you know, although it's only been like about a week and a half, it's still pretty special. We're going to release this podcast. I think it's coming out till middle of September. Some of that, Dill says yes. So the CPL season uh, will be wrapping up. Could the first season really have gone more perfect where, as of right now when we're recording it at the very end of August, you have a dominant cavalry team, mm -hmm. uh, cavalry team through the first half, but you see Forge really plowing the way in the second half yeah. where you don't wind up with this awkward final yeah. where, where you know you didn't have a clear second half winner? I think so. I mean, yeah, and you talk about Calvary, but I think, you know, Edmonton has kind of come on in like the last couple of weeks and, and, and York, so I'm... I, I, 
I think it would be a stretch for me to say it's it's going into a you know a four horse race, but. Um, yeah, the fact that Calvary aren't sort of running away oh, with it. Alone. Yeah, like they did in the first uh, sort of, you know, the spring season. Um, I think that just benefits, from, you know, the league as a whole. I think it's great to s- that there is that sort of open question as yeah. to, you know, who is going to wall- win the fall campaign. And I, I think the competitiveness of the of the second half of the season has been, uh, you know, great to watch. And you got to give it to all of them. Like they're trying to get everything under them as well. All the coaching staffs, yeah. you know, the, the team assistants and managers that are trying to, you know, find a swing, not just get into the swing, but find what the swing is going to be. Yeah. And then uh, roll that through the first season and then into the second season. Yeah. And Forge is, I think is a great success story too, because, you know, at the same time of really kind of coming on in the fall season, they're also going through the CONCACAF league so yeah. they're playing like you know they had to play in guatemala the which previous is round. awesome yeah. to watch john i've kept you way longer than the hour no it's I all good to man keep you for uh i hope you promise to come back especially as the league wraps up i'd love yeah. to talk about the championship we're not gonna talk cooking oh i promise we talk cooking let's talk cooking we but should first, preface it by saying like i fancy myself like a pretty good cook 100 and i'm always tweeting out and posting fo- photos of the meals and, I make and you have a meal blog I do. As yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to find out how John made the things he's showing you, he will, the then, recipe. he will then tell you, yeah. which is neat. This is what we should do a call-in show about. Oh, that's a good idea. Because I am adequate right. at like the three things I know how to make. Which is what? Uh, like right now it's a quinoa salad. Right now it's a decent breakfast sandwich. And I think I'm okay at making some sort of salmon concoction. Uh, I'm not going to call it anything. It's like a salmon bowl, if you will. But that's, I've had to narrow myself to three things. You have explored the world when it comes to cooking. So this is, first of all, it'd be like the pro, pro and Joe. It would be one of those (laughs) kind of matchups. And then people call in and we give opinions and then they only take yours. Um, What's something you're proud of that you make with as few ingredients as possible? Because I was talking to someone recently who's right. trying to pitch someone a cooking show. Right. And I'm like, you know what you need? You need to show people how to make really good things with like four ingredients. Right. Or five ingredients. Yeah, I agree. Because that would change the world for me. Yeah. You know what it is? And it's weird because I think people have this idea in their head that you have to be slaving over a stove all day for hours on end. For to, to make be good. Well, to be good, but just to make a classic yeah. tomato pasta sauce and the reality is you don't you can do it in 10 minutes time you can make a, you can make a fantastic okay pasta. john you can make a fantastic sauce for like spaghetti or any type of pasta in 10 to 15 and minutes. without like a primo bottle or anything no like no, no no just like uh, how many degrees i'm going to count them so tomatoes okay uh garlic okay olive oil basil and an onion so, so five, five. You can do it, maybe, and if you want to really get fancy, you okay. can like put like red chili flakes, or I, I use actual red chili and chop them up. So six ingredients. You can do. You can make a fantastic, kick-ass, out of this world spaghetti sauce, pasta sauce in fifteen. So minutes. help me understand how you get the tomatoes to like get to the right consistency. So because right. I, I I will wind up with something that kind of resembles a chili. Okay. Right where it's it it's like this really big and bulky and chunky and right and you don't even want to add noodles to it. Right. You're like I'm just gonna put it in a bowl and eat it myself. What kind anyway. of tomatoes are you using first of all? I don't Roma. I don't. So, so you're okay. using good style of tomatoes. Okay. Yeah. You tell me. So what I do is I put like a glug of olive oil in the pan to begin with. Okay. So like uh, you know half a cup or something yep. like that. A quarter of a cup. Sorry. Uh, 
or half a cup depends yeah, on yeah, what yeah, you're making. Yeah, I would say a quarter of a cup. <laughs> but use but use extra virgin olive oil too. If that's the other thing, you want to use like good olive oil. Okay. So extra virgin olive oil costs a little bit more. Well worth the investment. Okay. So put it on high heat. Let it sort of heat up for a little bit. Why? Do Just you mind me asking? I never knew. I always bought extra virgin because I'm like, eh, they say what, it's good. Why do you use extra virgin olive yeah, oil? Oh, my God. You ever, have you ever tasted it just on its own? No. Should I? Next time. If you've got like a bottle of like virgin olive oil. Not extra, a quarter of a cup though. That's a bit. Yeah, more. yeah. Don't, yeah, yeah okay. don't taste like a quarter of a cup. But just like, <laughs> I would like put like a, like a teaspoon or like a, okay. a regular taste is like fantastic. Just on its own. Versus, I'd have to compare it. Like yeah, I'd have to try absolutely, the two. You would. But olive you'll, oil you'll, versus extra virgin you'll, olive you'll oil. No, you'll absolutely notice the difference. Good to know. Thank you. So heat up the olive oil. Put, chop up some garlic and, and like a medium sized onion. Put it in, in immediately. Sort of let it stir for a while. And then you can add your tomatoes mm-hmm. and then sort of chop, use like a wooden spoon to like break them down a little bit. Yeah. But here's the thing I think that people don't realize is that pasta water. So the actual water that you use to boil the pasta, mm-hmm. that stuff is like gold dust. So if you take like a cup of that sort of water <laughs> okay. as you're boiling the pasta and then adding it to like the tomato. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. It, because of the starch? Because That's exactly it, because of the starch. And it adds like this wonderful natural creaminess to the sauce. And it helps break the tomatoes down a little bit more. So continue to sort of like let that simmer away. Yeah. If you want to add in, um, you know, your chili flakes or red chili at that point, go crazy. Yeah. But this is, you haven't added your onion or anything yet. No, no, I haven't added the onion. Oh, yeah, 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 have, okay. yeah, yeah. I apologize. So once you, once you add the onion and the tomatoes, then you can add sort of like the pasta sauce and yeah. then little, continue to stir it as this wonderful natural creaminess to it and just continue to let it stir away and stir it. And then at the very end, you don't want, uh, there's sort of like a big debate about when you should add basil. And I love okay. fresh basil. Yeah. I mean, I grow it on my balcony. Absolutely fresh. My guy. I think it's like the best, like, herb on the planet uh because it's so fragrant and tasty some people like to put it like at the beginning yeah like right when you add the tomatoes i don't do that because i feel then you're losing yeah it'll get wilted and it'll get lost so as soon as like i think the tomato sauce is done and i turn it off the heat yeah that's when i add the basil and then and then i add like the pasta to sort of the pan that you're cooking the sauce and then just naturally sort of like turn it and toss it and that takes no word of a lie 15 minutes my goodness. And that's like fantastic. And that then if fant- you then if you want you, sauce is unreal. Yeah. And then if you want to add like some uh, you know like parmesan or parmesan, yeah, okay. you know, parmesan then you can do that. Not too much though. I think people So you're are you, yeah. I people want- like douse their pasta with <laughs> like cheese and I think it that's It looks just, like a snow-capped mountain. Yeah, exactly. Right no, where it's just like yeah. it's white flakes on top of white flakes. Exactly. And like, and then the pasta sauce the, underneath. The tomatoes are the star of the show. <laughs> like let them sort of shine. Don't like <laughs> Don't like make like a uh, like a blanket of cheese on it. That's just that's just not done. But you can add some cheese. I'm regretting already that we didn't lead with cooking. I thought you were ending. gonna. I know. I told you, but then we got talking about sports, and then I was Mom. like, I hope you don't mind. I'm talking about soccer, and you gave me the thumbs up, like you were cool that we talked about soccer. Well, and then I just didn't shut up. Hey, your show, man. This is you're, you're steering. You're, will, I you're doing the steering. You, we will come back, and we will lead with. Okay with uh another recipe next time but do me a favor Uh-oh. so in the meantime yeah like try that sort of i like, will so try it i promise and then when you. i come back then i want to see how it turned out i'm well and you I, let me know you will i'm gonna send it to you on on the twitters okay if that's okay yeah and uh, you can use it uh, that's good for any type of pasta so whether it's spaghetti rigatoni yeah. long or short spaghetti uh, on, i'm a classic spaghetti all right guy. yeah me yeah. too I, but i like short pasta too Dude. but 
honestly, 15 minutes. And I think people just have it in their head. You've got to like have it on the stove for like hours on end and it takes forever. Well, it's, and it's not, it's not the case. And in my head it's. If so you're braising meat. Right. Then fair enough. Right. But if you're just doing just a strictly vegetarian classic tomato sauce for any sort of run of the mill pasta dish that you're making. So you're more of a primavera than you are a bolognese. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally down with like the primavera. So I'm going to try that. What I, in my head, it's always like, I need the tomato paste and I need the tomato, like you get all the canned tomato products yeah. and then add them to the, add them to the fresh tomatoes. And I'm like, oh, you got to remember you need, you know, twice as much as crushed tomatoes as mm. you have paste and all this stuff. Right. That's where I get lost in the idea of Just, making a pasta sauce. There's, there's nothing wrong with using canned tomatoes. Yeah. And I often do try to stay away from the ones that are diced already. Like if you'll, okay. you'll see the ones that are like, it'll say canned whole tomatoes. Yeah. Use those because then they're, they've been less processed. Okay. And I just find that they're, they're better for tomato sauce. But if you can use fresh, I'll but there's Roma. no. I but, like Roma tomatoes. Yeah. But there's no sort of sin in like using canned tomatoes. Absolutely not. Like I said, I use them all the time. John, you're an absolute delight. Where can people find your food blog? Uh, you know what? I don't even know the URL. URL? <laughs> we'll tweet it out. We'll tweet I'll it out. Yeah, I'll when, tweet it out. When we tweet out this podcast, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope we do this again. Cool. Uh, we'll talk more soccer. We'll talk more food and more world travel because yes. like, we hit a little bit of Italy and a little bit of South Africa, right. but we didn't get to much more. No. Thanks, and we should buddy. talk about our time in Mexico together. And our time in Mexico, 100%. And how you helped us out on one of our documentary series. That's true. I appreciate it. See, look, we have enough stuff we could just keep rolling yeah. if we wanted. I like to finish the podcast each uh, the same way each and every time because- I believe that you can institute big change in yourself by paying attention to even the smallest decisions you make. Mm -hmm. And that actually comes with a coach I worked with years ago in hockey when I was first getting into the media side. And so uh, the simplest decision that we can all make for the positive, and this fits with making you know a vegetarian tomato sauce, mm -hmm. is to please eat your vegetables. So, yeah. as, so as we wrap up, I like to uh, thank you for coming in. I like to thank Dill for running the sliders, everyone else who's involved in making this podcast. And everyone out there, please, please, please be good to yourself. Oh, uh, and be good to each other too. And eat your vegetables. And eat your vegetables. And be thankful for the jobs we have. Absolutely. 100%. Thanks, John. No worries.